On this episode of This Week in Linux, we celebrate the 25th anniversary of Slackware. Humble Bundle is running a Linux Geek Bundle. Microsoft makes PowerShell available as a snap. And we get a sneak peek at the System76 manufacturing facility. We got a lot of app news this week with a new release of Latte Docs 0.8, preview builds for the music production tool Reaper, and then we'll check out some cool projects starting with Almond, an open virtual assistant, and HLedger, and a command line accounting tool. Librem 5 development boards have been delayed, and LibraPay is in a little bit of trouble. Then in gaming news, we'll check out a Guitar Hero clone known as Clone Hero, which they are working on and getting a better name for that. And then we'll talk about some upgrades to the Atari VCS. Later in the show, we'll talk about why proprietary software is awful for security. All that and much more coming up. I'm Michael Tonell with Tux Digital, and this is your weekly source for Linux GNUs. This episode of This Week in Linux is sponsored by... Okay, well, it's not really sponsored at all, but if you'd like to contribute to the Tux Digital channel, you could become a patron by going to tuxdigital.com slash Patreon. And there you would also be able to get a lot of rewards and extra perks by becoming a patron. So if you are interested in supporting the channel, please check it out, tuxdigital.com slash Patreon. Up first in the show this week is another celebration of 25 years for the Slackware project. Slackware is one of the oldest actively maintained Linux distributions. And back in the day, Slackware was one of the easiest distributions to get and didn't require a lot of effort to get IP masquerading to work correctly. Now, I wouldn't I don't think anybody would argue that it is now one of the easiest, but it still has its place because it is awesome and it is a very, it's a very nice source-based distribution. And interesting enough, one of the earliest releases of SUSE Linux was based on Slackware. So, if you're interested in checking out Slackware, you totally should, because if you, well, if you're a source, if you're interested in source-based distributions like Gentoo or whatever, Slackware is one of the founding distributions of the ecosystem. So, you should definitely check it out if you haven't, and if you're interested in source-based distributions. Otherwise, uh, maybe not. But anyway, uh, happy anniversary to 20, for Slackware for 25 years. Just to be clear, some people were thinking that I had missed the Slackware announcement for 25 years, and that's why it wasn't in the episode for last week. But if you look at the screen, it says 1993, July 16th. Technically, the episode was recorded on the 14th of July, so it hadn't happened yet. And now it has happened, so now it is in this episode. And I was going to decide to give it its own separate section anyway, because Slackware is pretty cool. So, there's that. Up next in the show, Microsoft has announced that PowerShell is now available on Linux as a snap. PowerShell is built .NET framework and is open source. And it's designed specifically for system administrators. Thanks to the auto-updating and transactional nature of snaps, Microsoft made it pub has published PowerShell as a snap. Also, you have PowerShell Preview, which you can have two different versions, the stable version and the bleeding edge version, which is the PowerShell Preview. And you can install both of them side by side because they are two different snaps. And now I'm talking like this because I don't actually care. Because we have better shells on Linux. And this is just kind of like 
mm, kind of funny that Microsoft has decided to do this because it's like, you know, I guess it's good because it helps people who are used to using PowerShell from Windows come to Linux, but I don't think they're going to get any Linux users to try PowerShell because what? Anyway, in the live chat, someone has quickly responded to the call for why is this interesting? And as a sysadmin, Broken pointed out that PowerShells is good for sysadmins because it allows you to use your Linux desktop to admin Windows servers. So that's a good point I just wanted to bring up. So there's that. Up next in the show is Latte Docs' newest release of 0.8. This has a lot of cool features, and if you haven't heard of Latte Doc, it's it's a dock for the Plasma desktop, and I'm a big fan of both the Plasma desktop and Latte Doc. And Latte Doc is actually a lot more powerful than people think it is based on its name being a dock. Um, I'll get into that in a second. But the new features they've added is the new layout settings and the ability to do multiple layouts simultaneously as well as doing layouts through uh, activities, the Plasma Activity System. You can also do an easy, quick switch back and forth between different uh, modes versus like having a panel or a dock. And even has layout switching so that you can easily switch between, let's say, a Unity layout or a Windows-type layout, or etc. There's even abilities to do community layouts that you can download from store.kde.org. So that's really cool. And they've even set up command line options that you can do scripted configurations over, like, multiple computers. So you, if you have multiple computers you want to deploy LatteDoc on, you can use the scripting system to do that. That's pretty cool. And it's also got a better improved dynamic background system for the panels. So, for example, a dynamic background applies to when you move a window close to the to the top panel, for example, and it's transparent or translucent at some point, and then you move the window up, and it becomes opaque. So that if or if you maximize the window, it becomes opaque. It's just a nice polishing system, a, a way to make it uh, not so in your face if you have a full screen and the window has the background showing above your desktop and your desktop is a, has a very bright background. It kind of looked really awkward depending on your window theme. So that's a really cool feature. Now, the reason why I'm saying LatteDoc is more powerful than what people accept, expect it to be is because it's not just a dock tool. It is a fully compatible pl- panel replacement, in fact, so you could use Latte Dock to replace all the plasma panels entirely and use any of the widgets that support or that are supported by the plasma panel. You can use those widgets inside of the Latte Dock. So you can create multiple docks and use any kind of widget you want and it will be able to do that and like you know all the features that the dock provides also can be provided for those panels. It's very very cool. So if you're interested, you do need to know that you require it requires Plasma 5.12 to use this version, and it requires Qt 5.9. So if you are using Kubuntu 18.04 or newer of you know, other distros, you should be fine to try out Latte Doc 0.8. Up next in the show is some really good news for music production on Linux, and that is Reaper. 5.93 has new native Linux builds. So 
this is interesting because Reaper is basically a major industry standard piece of software. Like it is very popular in terms of media production. And when people use use Linux, they want to use Reaper, and they for the past they've had to use it through Wine, which worked for the most part. It worked fine. It's just there's also an issue of latency and you know, direct access to the hardware and stuff like that. So by them creating a native build for Linux, it makes it all it eliminates all of the messing with Wine and the audio stream input output issues that comes from being a Windows application. So having direct access to the hardware and um, improves the latency and the recording features and it just it's just anyway it's much better than not having that right. So if you haven't heard of Reaper, Reaper allows you to import audio and mix, master songs and edit and compose and synthesize and all that good stuff. And also interesting is that they're making it support not only x86 architecture, it's also going to support ARM architectures for the Raspberry Pi 2 and newer. So that is pretty interesting. Anyway, if you are a music production person or you're interested in music production, check out the uh, link in the show notes for Reaper. And also, let me know what you think about this particular piece of software or just music production in general on Linux. Up next in the show... System76 posted a sneak peek at their new manufacturing facility. They announced this quite a while back that they're going to be manufacturing the the laptops and hardware themselves. So if you were to purchase from System76 right now, they're doing um, they're basically taking existing ODM products and then modifying them and updating them and improving them in, in ways and then shipping that to you. But in the future, they're going to be manufacturing specifically from system 76 warehouse facility or manufacturing facility so they posted this on their tumblr page which is just is like a blog that tells you like a sneak peek about different sections of it and it's it's pretty bare bones right now but it's still really cool that we're getting to see it like as it's being developed so if you're interested you can check out the link in the show notes but here's a a few uh sneak peeks as well somebody from system 76 said uh, the last locations, they could swivel their chair to see the next the, a desktop being built or assembled. Now they can get to go through a big magical door to see the actual parts being printed, printed, lasered, coated, bent, soldered, manufactured, and all the things. So I agree that's pretty cool. But speaking of lasers, when do we get to see the System76 laser? Okay, If you want to check it out, there's a link in the show notes to the blog post from System76. We got some unfortunate news recently about LibrePay and that they're in trouble with a their current payment processor has decided to essentially throw them out. If you haven't heard of LibrePay, LibrePay is an open source and free culture platform for recurrent donations. It's similar to Patreon, but is more focused on the free culture aspects of various projects and that things like that. LibrePay had an interesting model where I don't know if they st- they haven't really decided what their my next model will be, but previously their model was the patrons would put money into a wallet, the transaction fee would go from that wallet, and then you could disperse the the rest of the amount to various creators on the platform. So the way they were doing it seems to have been a problem with Mango Pay, which was the processor payment processor they were using, but they haven't really given any detailed explanation as to why they were doing this at all. So 
LibrePay still has no idea why that this was this happened. Um, they also never warned LibrePay that this was a possibility or give them any time to you know, correct any kind of issue. So they just decided to just get rid of them and you know, tell them that you know you have this amount of time or whatever. They didn't really give them an exact amount of time, but LibrePay is saying that July 26 is probably when they might cut them off. They don't know exactly when they'll cut them off, but they have a an estimate that they they could cut them off by before by then or somewhat a little bit later. So, if you are using LibrePay as a creator or as a patron, you should definitely take the money out until they have solidified the issue like the issue they have talked about the next release the next version or 2.0 version on their github where you can go and have a conversation there if you'd like to which you can find a link in the show notes but we don't really know exactly what they're going to be doing for the 2.0 yet they did say that going forward instead of doing a weekly distributing of money which is what they used to do they're going to just distribute the money as it arrives and perhaps maybe say this is how much this person wanted to donate. So like here's the big chunk that they were going to donate, but here's what the amount that they want to do it on a weekly basis or on a monthly basis or whatever. Uh, it's an interesting method to uh, solve the potential problems of the processing fees, but um, we'll have to see, wait and see to see what happens as whether or not this can work or not. I I don't know. Like I think LibrePay has some issues as far as like how it approaches the transaction fees. Uh, I would prefer that the creator pays the fees rather than the patron, but the way the structure of the of LibrePay works is that they would patron would have to do that. Uh, so I guess we'll see what happens with this. And best of luck to LibrePay. And uh, I hope you find a new processor soon, and that way you can avoid any kind of downtime. But again, um, good luck to you, and uh, hope all is well. Up next in the show is H-Ledger has released 1.10 version. H-Ledger, if not familiar, is an accounting program for tracking money, time, and other commodities. It is a cross-platform and is released under GPL v3. Now, the reason why you might not have heard of this is because it is a command line accounting tool, which I think is awesome. Uh, it, has, it provides powerful functionality for the command line, but it even has an ability to use a web browser for a, an accessible, uh, of getting the data accessible via web UI and graphs and all this other stuff. So you can start very simply as a basic accounting ledger and then move more sophisticated into like double entry accounting and things like that. So HLedger is a very interesting uh, application that if you are interested in, at all in accounting, it might be worth checking out. Although it is, you know, kind of for the command line advocates or enthusiasts. But I think it's pretty cool. And if you try it out, let me know what you think in the comments below. And uh, check the show notes for the link. Some more unfortunate news is Libra 5 development boards have been delayed. Now, they were due to external factors. They haven't really expressed exactly what that was. But their plan to ship the development boards was beginning in June. And that didn't really pan out. So there's a new rough estimate of the shipping development boards, and that is August. So it's interesting. What they're trying to do is very ambitious, so it's not really that surprising. But we've also got some more information about what's coming on the latest progress report, in that the n images now use the PHOSH, or FOSH, 
or I don't know, I think it's phone shell is what that's supposed to mean, as the default shell for the system. Now that's based, I'm pretty sure that's based on the GNOME stack shell that they're trying to build. And the virtual machine image has the same resolution that the Librem 5 will use, so that if you use the virtual machine image, you can try out like roughly what the Librem 5 is going to be working like. Uh, you know, roughly, super roughly. Uh, there's there's also been a lot of support, uh, ongoing support for stuff like Redshift and an on-screen keyboard. So they've made some progress there. And they've announced that the web browser for the Librem 5 will be Epiphany. And that they've adapted some changes for uh, usability on small screens and have been able to merge that upstream. Which is pretty cool as far as like the upstreaming of the code. But it's kind of weird that they chose to use Epiphany as the default web browser. I understand because of the whole GNOME stack thing. But Epiphany is not really an, a browser chosen by many people. It's interesting they chose that as the default. I would definitely change that personally. But, you know. Anyway, it's really good to see that there's some, uh, there is some improvement. Even though there has been some, some delays and setbacks for the Librem 5. Uh, I, I based on this setback, they're probably not going to make their January 2019 uh, estimate, but I'm okay with that as long as you know it's not like January 2020. Other than that, you know, I'd be I'd be probably pretty disappointed on that. But overall, as long as this phone is coming, I don't really care exactly when it comes out. But you know, sooner rather than later, of course. But you know, best of luck to the Purism team, and uh, I hope they are able to iron out these issues as soon as possible. Up next in the show is Almond, the open virtual assistant. I recently found out that this existed, so I wanted to cover this on the show because this is pretty cool. Now, Almond is a very open project. It's, it's, it uses a crowdsourced data from Thingpedia, which is an open collection of web and internet and internet of things APIs. So anyone can contribute support for the whatever service you want, well, as long as it supports those APIs. And it doesn't require a lot of code much. You know, it doesn't require that much to do that, to contribute. And what's really cool is that it supports a lot of natural language sentences. So in the future, it's going to have even more, of course. But like right now, instead of just using, like having to use a certain syntax, you can use like a natural language sentence uh, in some cases, not not every sentence you'd want to use, but uh, quite a few, like what's the weather in blah. That kind of thing works fine, so that's pretty cool. So Almond allows you to interact with various services, but it also allows you to interact with other people who are using Almond. So that is a very cool concept. If you want to learn more about how it all works, you can check the link in the show notes. But just in general, it allows you to have flexible control based on various policies of what you want your system to do. So, for example, you can have it edit, you know, do things based on the time of day, based on your location, uh, the content of the request that you send to Almond, and a bunch of other things as well. So, if you're interested, check it out. You can find a link in the show notes, and let me know what you think. I'm, I'm really um, interested in seeing what happens with this, because there are there is another open virtual virtual system with Mycroft, um, and I think that it's really cool to have a competition in that space because competition is always good. And, um, yeah, check it out with the link in the show notes. Up next in the show is the Humble Linux Geek Bundle. So Humble Bundle announced this Linux Geek 
bundle, which is a like a documentation or a PDFs or books bundle. And it's got, based on the recording, it's got about nine days left. Bundle has a lot of interesting books. It allows you to have uh, learn things about different types of languages, different types of software. For example, first, you, have, you can automate the boring stuff with Python. That's nice. Uh, the Artist's Guide to GIMP, Blender Masterclass, and a, the Book of Inkscape, as well as a Perl one-liner book as well. So that's like there's a lot of cool things that are coming uh, available, available in this particular bundle. Most of the stuff you can get for $15 in the bundle. Uh, for some reason, if you want to pay an extra, you can get the Linux prog programming interface. A Linux and Unix system system programming handbook. Now, this is an interesting book that I would like to read, but I can get everything else for fifteen, so probably gonna do that. Just to let you know, um, if you decide to click the link in the video description or in the show notes for this particular thing, the link for the Humble Bundle is an affiliate link for Tux Digital. So if you do decide to purchase and you use that link in the in, from the description or show notes, that will bring a per, small commission to the Tux Digital channel, which I would appreciate, but I want to let you know that that, is, that would be there if you decide to purchase. So check out the show notes for the link to the Humble Linux Geek Bundle. Clone Hero is a Guitar Hero clone that works for Linux, and it's a cross-platform free game of, of playing Guitar Hero, essentially. Now, they have said that they're going to work on making a better name of just Clone Hero because that's that's weird, and I agree that is kind of weird. So they are working on a better name, whatever that might be. And this looks like it's really cool because it allows you to have uh, the community to create songs of all kinds of different types of songs and different types of uh, skill levels and things like that. So even like meme songs are available in this game. So that's pretty cool. Uh, so anyway, so it's it now supports Linux. The last time I checked, I don't remember when, but I've been paying attention to this game for quite a while because um, I was a big fan of Rock Band and Guitar Hero back in the day. So it's really cool to see that that's being made as like a community-driven uh, project. So that's, that's really cool. Um, they're currently in development using the Unity engine, which makes it easy or re relatively easy for it to support Linux. So I don't know when they exactly released the Linux version, but... The Linux version is now available, so that's pretty cool if you want to try it out. Uh, it's not open source, but there are open source aspects, sort of, as far as like making new songs and things like that. But overall, the code itself is not open source. If you're looking for an open source example for this, it's you can check out Frets on Fire. Uh, Frets on Fire has actually not been updated in quite a while, so maybe not. But I think this is a, you know, even though it's not open source, that's fine, because most games aren't open source anyway. And I'm still interested in checking this out. I don't have um, a controller for this type of game anymore. I'm, I'm, I do want to try it out because just out of curiosity, I want to play this, see how it, how it, how it works and everything. See if it, if it actually has the same vibe as like the old games and things like that. But anyway, so if you're interested in checking this out, you can find a link in the show notes. And if you do try it, let me know what you think. And if you find any interesting songs that you would like, to share with me, that would be awesome. So put a comment in the you know comments below. Let me know if you find any, any things like that. So once again, Clone Hero, the Guitar Hero clone. Uh, link in the show notes. I've just been informed on the Twitch chat. Thank you from Kinseiko for letting me know about this. But the Frets on Fire 
X is a fork of Frets on Fire. So this one is more up-to-date than the original one. I'd said that the Frets on Fire has been updated in a while, and they say that Frets on Fire X has been updated just five days ago on GitHub. So if you're interested in checking that out, there's that for you. Up next in the show, we got some interesting good news from the Atari VCS project. They're going to do some upgrades to the pre, uh, previously announced hardware set for the upcoming Atari VCS. And the updates is that they're going to be using an AMD Bristol Bridge family APU with Radeon R7 graphics. And they were asked why did they not use Ryzen. And they said when the Ryzen is operating in a thermally limited environment, its performance is only marginally better than the Bristol Ridge. Now, the reason why they chose to keep using the Bristol Ridge instead of the Ryzen was because they said because it's not that much difference as far as the actual performance, it also allows them to put more money into different things. So instead, they're going to upgrade the RAM to 8 8 gigabytes of RAM instead of the previous 4 gigabytes of RAM. So this is interesting because it makes the Atari VCS more, uh, more of a viable platform because it's a more powerful platform. So I'm interested to see what happens with this because it's actually like I, I wish they would have done this during the early bird, you know, pricing because I would be much more interested in getting the device or getting the console at that time because it was a hundred dollars cheaper. But yeah. Anyway, what's really cool about this particular one is that they asked what when would the development boards be or development kits be sent out. And they said that they don't have to worry about having development kits because it's like if it's just works on like the the actual product itself will be the development kit. But if you want to go ahead and get your game working to you know be ready to use on the Atari VCS, all you have to do is make your game run on Linux at HD resolutions using standard runtime libraries. So just by making it support Linux, it will automatically support the Atari VCS, which is really cool. They did announce that they're going to be using their own distribution that is called Atari OS. If you, They did say that also you'll be able to change the distribution if you would like to. So that's pretty interesting. So if you want to check out more of the latest update from the uh, product QA of Atari VCS, then you can find a link to that in the show notes. So in some security news, but not related to Linux security, I just wanted to bring up this topic because it's uh, it's somewhat interesting and uh, ridiculous. So a voting mach- a voting machine vendor has admitted that it installed remote access software using the RDP protocol or the remote desktop protocol, which is a Microsoft protocol. And they said that they had in- provided PC Anywhere support for remote connection software. The problem with that is that statements in this February, this past February, to the New York Times, the same company, they said that they didn't provide access to remote software of any kind. There, in a quote from the company, it says, "None of the employees, including long-tenured employees, has any knowledge of our voting systems have ever been sold with remote access software." That's not true. Election management systems and voting machines are supposed to be air-gapped for security reasons. An air-gap means no access to the Internet and never having ever had access to the Internet. So the fact that they installed remote software is the exact opposite of security. Good job. 
Speaking of RDP terribleness, we also found out that <laughs> like the real cost of a mega breach, what it really cost for some data on the dark web, and that is <laughs> uh, the McAfee Advanced Threat Research Team uh, did some research in the Ultimate Anonymity Service, which is a uh, Russian RDP shop to find people selling stuff about RDP access and stuff. And one of the ports they found, or like multiple ports they found, of a massive international airport. But they won't tell you. They won't with. They won't tell you what the name of the airport is. For some reason, I suppose security reasons. But I mean, the fact they're even talking about this kind of defeats shows that they're they need to do it properly and not do things like this. But they found out the access was being sold on the dark web for ten dollars. That's it. $10. So yeah, uh, RDP is proprietary and problematic at best. So if you must use it and open it to the internet for any reason at all, be sure to use two-factor authentication and maybe limit the IPs that have the access to hit the port to only like trusted IPs. Or just don't use it. That's a good option too. Especially if you're a voting ven- uh, a voting machine vendor, don't use it. And finally this week, more security news, but again, not Linux-related. More proprietary software is bad-related. Now, not all proprietary software is automatically, like just being proprietary doesn't make it automatically better, or automatically bad, but in many cases it does. So just you know, put the little disclaimer out there. It's not always bad. Anyway, so Cisco has more backdoors have been found in Cisco routers. On, on average, we were finding one, one vulnerability or backdoor inside of Cisco routers once every couple years or so. Now, though, for the past five months, we have found five new backdoors. So once a month. In March, a hard-coded account with a username Cisco was revealed the backdoor would allow attackers to access over 8.5 million Cisco routers and switches remotely. The same month, another hard-coded password was found for Cisco's Prime Collaboration Provisioning Software, or PCP, which is used for remote installation of Cisco video and voice products. Then May, Cisco found another undocumented backdoor account in Cisco's Digital Network Architecture Center, used by enterprises for provisioning devices across a network. Then in June, he had another backdoor account was found in Cisco's Wide Area Application Services, a software tool for wide area network or WAN traffic optimization. The most recent backdoor was found uh, within a couple weeks ago or so. And the backdoors for the Cisco Policy Suite a software suite for ISPs and large companies that can manage a network's bandwidth policies. A backdoor gives an attacker root access to the network, and there are no mitigations against it. So, yeah. Good job, Cisco. If you have a router, or if you like, if you do have a Cisco router and you were considering switching based on this information, I would say check out the OpenWRT project, because OpenWRT is a open-source routing firmware or router firmware, so that allows you to replace your router 
a home router or an enterprise router with the firmware from that they provide with this open source firmware. You may have heard of OpenWRT before or LEDE or LEED and some good news about them is that the LEED project which was a fork of OpenWRT because there was some disagreements with what how the project should be built and they've now come to an agreement that they have merged back into OpenWRT. So if you uh, so it's no, it's no 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 better time to use it because OpenWRT is getting a lot of improvements, and they've done like a, like the core fundamental project improvements and stuff like that, as well as software improvements. So that's cool. So if you're interested, check out OpenWRT in the show notes. But also, if you don't necessarily know what kind of router you'd want to support uh, this particular s- software, they actually have a list of all of the routers and devices that support and also the degree and versioning supported by OpenWRT on these routers. So you can find a link to this spreadsheet basically uh, in the show notes as well. So yeah. On the bright side, Cisco's terrible security thing uh, gave me a reason to promote OpenWRT. So that's good, right? Thanks for watching this episode of This Week in Linux. If you like what I do here on this show, please like that smash button and be sure to subscribe. If you'd like to support the channel, we have multiple ways you can contribute via PayPal, Patreon, or more. You can go to tuxdigital.com contribute to find out more. Or you can order the Linux is Everywhere t-shirt by going to tuxdigital.com slash Linux is Everywhere. Or if you're in the European Union, you can go to tuxdigital.com slash Linux is Everywhere EU. If you'd like some more podcasting goodness from me, then check out the latest episode of Destination Linux, as I'm a co-host of that show. Just a reminder, the show is live every Saturday, so join us in the live chat room to discuss all the latest Linux news each week. And if you'd like to find out what the time is in your area, just go to touchdigital.com slash thisweekinlinux. Scroll down to the area where it shows the scheduled time, and click the time zone converter to find find out what the time is in your time zone. Thanks again for watching. I'm Michael Tunnell with Tux Digital. And as always, keep using, learning, and enjoying Linux.